Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast on spiritual direction and spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our work and the work of spiritual direction and spiritual companionship on our website, sdicompanions.org. Since 2002, Dr. Bruce Talman has been a full-time spiritual director and marriage coach in private practice. He's passionate about his mission, which is to help people grow in wisdom and love. Bruce wrote the manual on how to make a living as a spiritual director, a seminal text for most working spiritual directors and companions called Finding Seekers, How to Develop a Spiritual Direction Practice from Beginning to Full-Time Employment. He also participated in SDI's recent Making a Living 3 webinar series, which is available now as a recorded purchase on the SDI website. Bruce has a new book out, an exploration of the St. Francis de Sales and his 1616 treatise on the love of God. This book is called God's Ecstatic Love and is available for purchase on Amazon and on Bruce's website, brucetalman.com. Bruce and I recently spoke about this book and caught up on all kinds of topics around spiritual direction. Okay, well, I'm here with Bruce Talman. It's it's so good to see you and thank you for thank you for dropping in and being willing to have this conversation with me. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. This is great. Yeah, I know you're a you are a longtime member of SDI. But when mm-hmm. did you first become a member? Well, it was probably back in 1999 or 2000, 2001, sometime around then. It may have even been earlier. Yeah, because I remember, you know, feeling like I had a calling to be a spiritual director that started in around 1999. And I don't know if I knew about SDI then. So it may have been a year or two later. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's pretty good. 20 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going into my 21st year as a full-time spiritual director in a couple of weeks. So yeah congratulations on that anniversary (laughs) and uh, here's a question for you so bruce you've you've been doing spiritual direction for 21 years i'm curious to know your approach to spiritual direction and whether that has evolved or changed over the last 20 plus years that you've been doing it so my approach to spiritual direction is that the directee is in charge of their process i'm not the spiritual director the holy spirit is the spiritual director my approach is that spiritual direction has to be a calling you can have all the education in the world and if you don't have the calling you're probably not going to be all that good at it on the other hand you could be uneducated but have the calling and probably be fairly good at it. I mean, the best thing, of course, would be to have the training and the calling, (laughs) which is what SDI is all about. I mean, it's about helping people find out where they can get trained and so on. Yeah, so yeah, the directee is in charge of their process. So I may suggest books to read or ways of praying. And, you know, they may stay in the session, yeah, that sounds great, and then go home and find out that, you know, the way of praying, I suggest it doesn't work for them. And so I, I don't get my knickers in a knot, as the British would say. 
<laughs> I don't get my nose out of joint, as yeah. you know, North Americans would say. Yeah, I, I just figure, okay, you know, whatever works for them is good. And uh, so I'm pretty interactive. I had a spiritual director who just kind of nodded and said, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, I found that wasn't very satisfying. So, but I'll only share my stuff if I think that it's helpful to the directee. I mean, it's not about, it's not like a regular conversation where I'm sharing all my stuff and they're sharing all their stuff. I mean, it's focused on them. There's the, you know, the carpet and the spotlight. The spotlight is on them. It's not on me. The carpet is rolled up towards them. It's not rolled up towards me. And I always find if I let a the carpet unravel towards me and I start talking about my stuff, it really is not productive. And, you know, so I'll only share my stuff if I think it's helpful. It might be helpful to the directee to know that they're not alone and suffering with whatever they're suffering with, you know, if I'm suffering from that as well. So, of course, it's non-judgmental. I try to, you know, keep my own theology and morality out of things and just listen to where they're coming from and, and just bring God or spirit or consciousness, a higher power into this. I know God can be a loaded term for some people. So, you know, I just use God as sort of a shortcut for whatever that means, you know, for the person. I mean, it could mean their higher power, their Christ consciousness, absolute bliss, whatever God means, you know, for them. And... Uh, yeah, so it's like psychological counseling in that it's non-directive and it's client-centered. But the difference is that, of course, that you can talk about God right from the get-go. And it's whatever the person is bringing, or spirit, you can talk about spirit right from the get-go. And I've actually worked with atheists. And with atheists, I, you know, I just focus on, okay, what gives your life meaning? What, you know, what are your priorities? What, where's the juiciness in your life? Yeah, what's what's meaningful? What's What gives you purpose? Why do you get up in the morning? Those kind of things. That's been pretty rare when I've worked with atheists. It's mainly, you know, Christians from all Christian denominations. But I have had Jewish people and, and I was working with a Muslim guy for a while. Okay. So, yeah. The first thing you said in response is that the the client is the director, and well, the Holy the Holy Spirit's the director. Yeah, I'm I'm a trained facilitator of spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. At least I hope I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, so I mean, as as Paul said somewhere in the New Testament, you know, Paul said that he can water, but it's really he can water the plant, but it's really god who gives the growth you know so I, I think it's really the holy spirit is is the the real spiritual director i'm kind of a midwife i sort of like that analogy of you know helping the person give birth to their deeper truer self yeah. do you find that there is a variety and diversity in what your clients ask of you yeah they come with all kinds of things lately in the past couple of years i've been working mainly with clergy that was a decision of mine a couple of years ago i decided well i mean i'm 72 now i figured you know i really enjoy what i'm doing and i don't want to retire but i'm just going to cut back a bit and so i went from about 40 directees right now i have about 
15 to 20, I think. Mostly clergy, some lay people. And of course, clergy have their own set of, you know, issues that they bring. I mean, often it's about, you know, how they're managing stuff in the, in the church, in the congregation. So that's different than a lay person who may be struggling with their marriage or depression or alcoholism or so I just try to bring God into all that spirit you know into all that and you know where do you find spirit in the middle of this is there any spiritual gold for you in this suffering you're going through and on the other hand you know what is bringing you joy and meaning and purpose and wisdom and truth and love so where do you find those things in your life because God is those things god is not just love but also wisdom and truth and peace and kindness and so on so wherever a person finds those qualities they're finding god you know whether it doesn't matter what religious tradition they're from i mean if they're living a life of peace and justice and honesty and forgiveness and humility and so on god is in their life no matter you know where they're coming from basically even if they're atheists, if those qualities are in their life, God is in their life. They may not be acknowledging God, but God is there anyway. I mean, as Carl Jung said, he had carved over the front door of his house, God will be there summoned or not. You know, so whether you call upon God or not, God is going to be there. So that's my, that's my approach. I assume that God is in a person's life, whether they're an agnostic atheist, you know, spiritual but not religious, or maybe they're really religious and, you know, I, I might ask them, well, how do you handle, you know, all the sort of screw-ups, I would say, of, of churches, <laughs> you know, I mean, I ask that of, of clergy regularly, how do they handle this? Yeah. Because, yeah. It's not an easy job being a clergy person. No, in fact, I used to, well, I still say that it's one of the hardest jobs and maybe yeah. an impossible yeah. job just because yeah. of the pressures, yeah. you know, yeah. a clergy person has. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come back to your practice there, but I want to ask you first about your own spiritual practices. So yeah. How do you encounter God in your everyday life? Okay. Well, it's fairly extensive, and this has just kind of evolved over the years, but I I usually start off the day with some body prayers, you know, you could call them mudras, I think, in Hinduism, and so it's just like, you know, lifting the arms or going like this, you know, putting your hands across your chest. So I, I, I belong to this group called the Mankind Project. It's a men's spirituality movement, and they borrowed a lot from indigenous spirituality. And so I pray to the seven directions, okay? Just, you know, you know, north, south, east, west, above, below, within. And uh, I have different groups I pray for in each direction. So and these are people that people may forget to pray about, people in jail, people in nursing homes, people in hosp you know, hospitals, refugees and so on so i have a different different groups i pray for each each direction and then i 
I do some intercessory prayer, usually for my, my family. I'm married with three adult children, and, you know, so I pray for them and their partners and and my step-grandchildren and, you know, relatives and so on. And then I, I usually do some journaling, and I'm trying to get back into writing poetry, so I'm trying to write two Christian poems a week, and that's been an interesting process. I used to write tons of poetry but i sort of got out of it and, you know eventually had to find a job and you know <laughs> raise a family and so on yeah. but i'm trying to get back into poetry because i poetry was always a very very spiritual thing for me and then i usually read richard Rohr's daily meditation matthew fox's daily meditation i don't know if you know matthew fox but i do know of him i don't know he has a daily meditation yeah yeah yeah, Henry Nunn has a daily meditation, so I read those. What else do I do? Then I do some centering prayer, and then I do some Tai Chi. Or I've been lately I've been doing this thing called 5BX, five basic exercises. So I believe the you know the body and the emotions and the mind and the spirit are all connected. So so this 5BX, five basic exercises thing is, and I alternate that with yoga and Tai Chi. And, but it's, you know, all these things are attempts to keep myself in shape. So, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, your practices are so extensive. I mean, I'm like, wow, how do you find time in your day for all of these? Activities? Yeah. Well, I'm an insomniac. So I, I decided <laughs> rather than lying in bed, I'd just get up early and do all this stuff. And so then over breakfast, I usually read the mass readings for the day and, you know, some other readings from the Unity Church. The New Thought Church, and and then I try and remember those things that I read at noon. Usually, I go for a walk, I go swimming, and then before bed, I review again. You know what what were the mass readings for the day? What do they get? What do they get out of that? And I keep a then at the end of the day, I keep a gratitude diary. So it's like I try and jot down three things that you know, three positive things. Sometimes it's just one or two, sometimes it's five or six, but things that happened that day that I'm thankful for. So I've been doing that for years. And yeah, like I said, all this stuff just gradually evolved over time. And I kept adding stuff and trying different stuff. And yeah, so when I do centering prayer, it's kind of a unique way to do it. I tried a mantra and I, tried that for a while and then I just tried sitting quietly you know without letting all my thoughts go and then lately what I've been doing is like the psalms are full of comforting verses and so what I do in centering prayer is I just you know try to like I have cards I have three psalms written on each card I have 33 cards so there's 99 psalms I call upon. And when I'm meditating, I just sit quietly with my eyes closed and try and lightly meditate on three three comforting psalms. So, yeah. Yeah, so then in, in general, that's kind of my spiritual practice. Yeah, Come on, it's inspiring to hear about <laughs> your devotion. I'm serious. Just the... The breadth of your practices and yeah. the, the energy you devote to engaging them. It's, yeah. It's yeah. And I think I encourage people to, um, you know, give the best part of their day to, to God. And, you know, I mean, if that's in the evening, then the evening, if it's the morning, like I'm kind of a morning person. So 
you know, that works for me. But evening or even the afternoon or noon might work for other people. So whatever the best part of your day is, when you have the most sort of wakefulness and awareness and consciousness, uh, you know, it's good to do your spiritual practices. In. And if you do it first thing in the morning, I mean, it, it kind of sets the tone for the day, for the rest of the day. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to come back to your your vocation. So you are a you have been for a long time full time spiritual director, and, and you wrote you wrote the manual on how to do it called Finding <laughs> Speakers, which I recommend all the time to people. Just it's helped me. It's helped so many people. I want yeah. I want to acknowledge that. Thank uh, you. Yeah, and but you have made a shift as you as you spoke to you went from forty clients to roughly fifteen or so, and focused on clergy people and yes. i wonder if you could speak to your calling to make that shift yeah well i had a few clergy before and you know amongst the 40 and i think i was being called to it because i think that clergy have you know a special set of problems special set of challenges also i wanted to sort of i guess i'm sort of semi-retired although like I took four months off last year, but you know, even when I take four months off, I mean, it's often during that time I'm not seeing anybody, but I'm I'm working on promoting my my books, you know. So yeah, it was just a sense of, you know, particularly for Anglicans in the U.S., they're called Episcopalians. They really encourage their their clergy to have a spiritual director. So yeah, I just I just found that. Working with clergy was was pretty challenging because they're they're usually a lot more theologically well educated than lay people, and so you really have to sort of bring your A game when you're working with clergy. And so I like that challenge, and yeah, so it's just a gradual process of wanting to cut back a bit on my work and and at least on the number of directees. I also do a lot of marriage preparation and not has been kind of it's been kind of a banner year for marriage preparation i was doing that when i was working with the roman catholic diocese of london for 14 years the parishes didn't do any any marriage preparation so we did it all as part of our job so you know i thought when i left my job with the diocese i already had quite a few directees and i knew there were marriage prep couples who were falling between the cracks who couldn't fit into the you know into our courses and the priests won't marry them the priests in the catholic church and the anglican church will not marry couples unless they have done some marriage preparation i mean it's sacramental preparation you know it wouldn't make sense to participate in a sacrament if you didn't have a clue what it was about and so there's always sacramental preparation in these churches mandatory sacramental preparation so i figured if I picked up the couples who were falling between the cracks who couldn't fit into the into our courses or the parish courses, then with that and my directees, you know, I I could leave my job with the diocese and go full time in in private practice. So that's what I've been doing since 20, 2002. And yeah, and I consider marriage prep as adult religious education. So, you know, it was it was a continuation of what 
you know, what I was already doing. Although the marriage prep part is, is more education than spiritual direction. So, but yeah, between that, those two things and, and, and writing, it keeps me quite busy. And, and, and it's a lot of fun doing marriage prep. I mean, usually couples are, are really in a good space. You know, they're all excited about getting married and they haven't been beat up by marriage yet. You know, so yeah, <laughs> I right. talk about I talk about there's four stages. There's romance, disillusionment, misery. And if you hang in there and keep working on things, there's true love or seasoned love. So anyway, I try and give them a realistic view of marriage. I wrote an article once called Marriage Bonfire of the Ego. And mm. as you probably know, in every major religion, the main problem is the ego, the small self, you know. And I think marriage is a great spiritual tool for, you know, helping people get past their ego if they keep working on their marriage. I mean, and it can be really hard because your partner usually will point out to you all your shortcomings and flaws and, you know, that's hard on the ego. So the other have to gain some humility and wisdom and insight and patience and you know, so on, all those good qualities, if you're going to remain in the marriage. So I think marriage really is the bonfire of the ego. That's a <laughs> fantastic <can>. title. I, <laughs> it, it's very true. I just, from my own experience, the, yeah. The, oh, yeah. You, you go into it, you call it the romantic phase. And yeah. it is, it's, it's almost like a fantasy, you know? Oh, it is. Here's a sure. person who can make my life better and do things for me yeah. that make me feel better about myself and all of that yeah goes away after a while yeah guys yeah. it's not about that at all yeah yeah i think right. i think parenting is is a similar bonfire oh, yeah. that your ego if i yeah. look back over that too for sure for sure yeah i mean once your kids become teenagers it's like you become the appendage to the steering wheel you know and you become the atm i mean you're the person who drives them places and and you know you're you're the money source but you know it's like their their interests have shifted from the family to their friends and you know it's that could be yeah that can be hard on your ego that you can advertise on this podcast? It's true. SDI Advertising is open to anybody. For as little as $99, you can promote your spiritual direction practice, your new book, your upcoming course, or whatever you have to thousands of SDI podcast listeners. Your purchase of an ad also helps support this podcast and our advocacy work around spiritual direction and spiritual companionship. Learn more and purchase an ad today on our store, sdicompanions.org. Just go to the shop link and select advertising. Well, you don't sound very semi-retired. You sound incredibly busy and yeah. having a very full life between your, your spiritual direction and your spiritual practices and, and your writing. Yes. And and you have a new book that you've yes. written in your quote unquote semi-retirement. Right. Share tell me a little bit about this book you've written. 
Okay, so the book is called God's Ecstatic Love, Transform Your Life with a Spiritual Masterpiece. Now, the spiritual masterpiece is not my book. I was writing about another person's spiritual masterpiece. That is Francis de Sales, St. Francis de Sales. He's a bishop, Catholic bishop, a mystic, a saint, a doctor of the church. And he wrote this book called Treatise on the Love of God, which is you know, considered to be, by scholars, considered to be a spiritual classic. It's like up there with the cloud of unknowing and the imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. But most people have never heard of the treatise on the love of God. And so he wrote it in 1616. And in 2016, I picked it up and started reading it. And I, and I started thinking, Somebody should do a 21st century update on this book, you know, because a lot has happened in the past 400 years. I mean, there's been modern science and, you know, now we have the web telescope, which is mind blowing. And, you know, there's been the enlightenment, the Renaissance, well, the Renaissance was before the sales time, I guess, but, you know, there's been the American Revolution, the Russian Revolution, the French Revolution, the Chinese Revolution. There's been democracy, communism, capitalism, two world wars, the internet, uh, biblical criticism, historical criticism, stuff that, you know, DeSales couldn't even imagine. And, you know, there's the new atheists, there's people who are spiritual but not religious. And there's the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, you know. So I thought, like, his, his, his treatise is, it combines the head and the heart in a nice way. It's fairly intellectual. And so I thought we need an intellectual update on this spiritual masterpiece. And so that's what I, I tried to do, you know. And I started off just in 2016, just a couple hours a week taking notes on on the treatise i ended up with 330 pages of handwritten notes then i narrowed that down to 75 pages and then i narrowed that down to an 18 page outline that i then started building my book from but i, I basically follow the same format as the sales there's 12 mini books within the treatise and so you know the mini books are really like chapters but he calls them books. So I took the same format in my table of contents. You'll see book one, book two, you know. Yeah, so this is the greatest work by, I think, one of the greatest saints of, of the Christian tradition on the greatest theme, you know, how do you love God? I mean, Christ said that when somebody asked him what is the greatest commandment, he said, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Strength means will, I think. So love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and will. So yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, everything else in the scriptures is kind of commentary on that commandment. And the second commandment Christ said was love others as you love yourself. And so the book is full of, my book is full of quotes from scripture, quotes from the original treatise, a lot of social justice stuff, because I didn't want it to be so heavenly bound that it was no earthly good, you know, and, you know, so I try to keep it from being, I mean, it is a devotional book, but it is intellectual. And I talk about, you know, how do we relate to modern science and the theory of evolution and so on. And 
things like that. So these are things that, you know, the sales really couldn't imagine. I mean, the year before the treatise came out, the Vatican condemned Galileo, you know, and so it was just the beginning of modern science when the sales wrote his treatise. And of course, we know science has completely revolutionized pretty much everything. <laughs> so, yeah, so I just figured it needed an update. And also, I see people, you know, who have a very narrow theology, but they're gung-ho about their narrow theology. And then I see other people who have a very broad theology. They're accepting of just about everything, but they're not very gung-ho about it. You know, they're not passionate about it. So the narrow people may be appealing to the heart more, and the, you know, broad people may be appealing to the mind more. I mean, I think we need both, you know, we need both. I mean, love God with all your heart and with all your mind. And so I tried to write a devotional book that was also fairly intellectual and, uh, you know, addressed a lot of modern issues. Yeah, so it's been a work of love. It was edited by seven clergy people. You know, two of them were personal friends. The other five were my some of my directees. And I figured after I wrote it, I thought, well, I should get some feedback some theological feedback by people who were theologically trained. And so I asked some of my directees if they would review the book and they were more than happy to do that. And I kept revamping and revamping it. I think I revamped it nine times altogether. So <laughs> it's been a labor of love. You know? Yeah, you've been through. Yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it's, you know, a great book by a great saint on the greatest topic and hmm. yeah how do you yeah. love god so it sounds like and you know correct me if i'm wrong it's not it's not a straight up translation it's or no. is there no. yeah it's it sounds more like your own personal journey through yeah writing and teachings of francis de sales the way you describe right. taking all these right. notes and then winnowing them down and then expanding on them but still kind of following the format of these various books I, I guess they're called their section yeah. many right books. yeah 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 and, and one thing I found I, I about 20 percent of my book is quotes from the treatise on the love of God and I presented that to my publisher and my publisher said well you can't do that because you're quoting from this 1975 translation by Tan Press and Tan Press is going to sue you for copyright. So you have to go, you have to find a translation that comes before 19, 1923, because anything before 1923 is in the public domain. You see, you can quote as much as you want from anything before 1923, and there's no copyright issues because it's in the public domain. So I had to go back and find a translation. I found a translation from 1884 that was a good translation. And so then, yeah, that's what I, that's what I quoted the treatise from was this 1884 translation. Um, so that was one of the things where I had to revamp it. And one of my clergy persons, editors said, well, you keep using the word you all the time, you know, why would you love God with all your heart? And he said, you should change that to we. Why would we not love God with all our hearts? And so, which is much more inclusive and friendly. I mean, so I had to go back through the whole book and, you know, 
take out all the use and replace oh yeah use what do you do order. a find and replace and you know yeah yeah place yeah. all the use with we yeah, yeah yeah so yeah that was that was you know i just kept revamping and revamping and i think it's in good shape now but yeah yeah what's one big takeaway that you or revelation that you have having this relationship with francis de sales well as he said you you know you can capture more how do they say it i mean this is a bad analogy but he said you can capture more flies with honey than with vinegar you know oh wait, so, I know that phrase did that originate with him yeah yeah, yeah okay. so you know i mean he was a very sweet writer i think that's why he was so effective in you know bringing people into the church and he was sent to switzerland by the pope you know to kind of as part of the counter-reformation i mean the reformation was protestants breaking away from the church and the pope sent him to switzerland where john calvin was the main thinker and uh you know the pope sent him to switzerland to try and help people you know come back to the catholic church and he was loved and hated by a lot of people i mean there were assassination attempts on him and and uh, but his first book introduction to the devout life which people are still buying and reading after 400 years i don't know many books like that that you know maybe like i said these other spiritual classics like the imitation of christ or the spiritual exercises of saint ignatius but not many books are selling still after 400 years, you know? And so that was a very sweet book. It was very, you know, just, uh, and I think in spiritual direction, a key distinction is that, you know, what are you being drawn to? Not what are you being driven to? So God draws us, God does not drive us. I mean, if you feel like you're being driven to do something, it's probably your ego that's in charge. Whereas if you're feeling like you're drawn, it's probably God, you know, it's like me being drawn to be a spiritual director. I just had this feeling that this is the way God wanted me to go, you know, and there were all kinds of things pointing in that direction, but there was nothing driving me. It was just with, with being drawn, you have freedom. I mean, you can say no. Whereas if you're driven, it's pretty hard to say no, you know, so you can, if God is drawing you and God might be drawing you by just putting in front of you, you know, how great it would be to be a spiritual director. That's a lure, you know, from God, you know, or Psalm, I think of that those who follow God's ways are ever blessed, ever prosperous. That's a, that's a lure that the Bible is full of lures by God to draw people forward you know and uh, capture their imaginations and and you know it appeals to the whole person so yeah so i just felt drawn not driven and uh, that's what i that's a distinction i make with my directees all the time you know what do you feel drawn to what do you feel driven to you know and for clergy what what you know what do they feel drawn to or what do they feel driven to they may feel driven to putting bums in pews, you know, but is that what church is really about? I mean, isn't it about transformation and transforming people's lives? It's not about numbers or money, you know, money's part of it, but that shouldn't be the main focus. Anyway, so yeah, what are you drawn to rather than what are you driven to? That's a beautiful 
distinction and a very hard opening question that I hear. Yeah. 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 Very practical too. Almost like a a discernment question that one can use. For sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, Bruce, who is the audience for this book? Who might your book interest? Okay. Good question. So I think it's anybody who wants to deepen their relationship with God, basically. Everyone who's read it pretty much has said, yeah, this deepened my relationship with God, you know. So it could appeal to anybody from any religious tradition. I mean, I, you know, I try and keep it broad. And the stuff that DeSales talks about, like, you know, he makes a distinction between resting in God and pursuing God. And that could apply in any tradition. He, he talks about the distinction between obeying God's commandments versus obeying God's counsels versus obeying God's inspirations. And every major religious tradition has commandments, counsels, and inspirations, you know? So I think anybody from any tradition could find, uh, find that it was helpful as long as they're open to, you know, drawing closer to God, whatever that means for them. Yeah. So that's my audience. I know that's rather broad. The treatise is kind of a more advanced version of the introduction to the devout life. I mean, the introduction is kind of more for beginners. This is maybe for people who have been believers for a long time and they've gone through a lot of stuff and had a lot of questions and, you know, they're trying to find their way. I mean, you can get lost, you know. <laughs> and be wandering all over the place. And so I think it's it's for people who are maybe a little more advanced on the spiritual journey. And maybe that's why it's not as well known too, is because the introduction to the devout life was for the general public. This is more for, you know, kind of people who really want to zoom in on how do you love God and how do you love others? And, you know, which are the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So it should, it should appeal to anyone, but yeah, I mean, you know, how many churchgoers are loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? You know, I hope, I hope it, I hope the book is helpful for church renewal because most denominations, Christian denominations, are are struggling and and declining, at least in North America. In other parts of the world, Christianity and Islam are just taking off, like in Africa you know, place like that. But yeah, in North America, attendance is going down and in Europe, it's going way down. And so I hope the book is helpful for church renewal, but it's mainly, you know, just to help people to draw closer to God. I think if you draw closer to God and you, the cells talks about complacence and benevolence. Complacence, complacence means resting in God. It's not being indifferent to things. You know, it's not the way we think of complacence as kind of indifference or not caring about stuff. Complacence for the sales means resting in God. And the more you rest in God, the more you absorb God, the more the, you know, sense is that, hey, I should get out and do something for other people. I mean, hopefully that comes through resting in God. And that's, that's where benevolence comes in. You know, you're engaging in social justice and, you know, trying to help other people draw closer to God. So, yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful hope for the book. And that that understanding of 
that hope for renewal mm-hmm. in it. And really you're inviting people to come back to the basics, which mm-hmm. is, you know, yeah. going closer to God, resting in God. Yeah. And, you know, what I hear from you is that if one does that, one is filled with that love and can't help but go and share it through through service yeah. and social yeah. action and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why God created the universe. God wanted to share God's love with other creatures, you know? So, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Well, Bruce, where can people find your book? Well, it's up on Amazon like everybody else, or they can get it from Apocryphal Press, or if they just want to learn more about it, I have a website. So my website is www.brucetallman.com. And if you go to brucetallman.com slash books, then there's a description of my four books there. The first one that comes up is, is, you know, God's Ecstatic Love. So I don't know if your viewers can see this, but that's what the cover looks like. Is that backwards for you, Matt? No, I got it. It looks it looks correct here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, I mean Amazon is, you know, the main distributor. It's also in Barnes and Noble and, and so on and other booksellers. So I hope people will check it out. It's as I said, it's been a labor of love. And I have just three reviews so far on Amazon. They're all five-star reviews. So people said, yeah, this helps me to draw closer to God so well let's invite people here to go and review the book and and take a look and we'll include links to purchasing in the podcast notes so if you're listening to this you'll find you'll find links to Bruce's book here Bruce is there anything else on your heart that you would like to share that you haven't Mm. had the opportunity to yet yeah well my own spiritual practice you're asking about that I mean Back in 1983, when I became Catholic, I was reading this book called How to Get Control of Your Time and Life by Alan Lakine. It was kind of the first book about how to manage time, you know. And he, he said that if you want to get control of your time and life, you have to have figure out what your lifetime goals are. So back in 1983, I thought, okay, well, what did Christ say? He said that you know, the great commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So I took that for my lifetime goal. And part of my spiritual practice is uh, to write out every week, you know, how I can love God, how I can love others, how I can love my wife, my kids, myself, other people, friends and relatives, and just the world in general. So I've probably written that out about 2000 times now. And that's made all the difference, you know, so I would encourage people your listeners to think about that you know to write out you know how can you love god and other people write it out every week and then schedule all that stuff into your week and try to you know try to live that i've tried to live it i don't you know often i don't do it very well (laughs) but it's a great spiritual practice and so that's something that i would just leave with people you know to encourage them to do that and it's, you know, it's different when you write it out. It kind of, it's like journaling, you know, when you journal, you can see all kinds of new possibilities. It puts everything at arm's length. You can see things objectively. And, and yeah, so that's been, that's been my main spiritual practice. That's, that's, that practice has been the beginning of my long spiritual practice in the mornings. You see, like 
you know, the two or three hours in the morning. That all evolved out of this practice of writing out, you know, each week, how can I love God, myself, my wife, my kids, other. And so, yeah, it's given me a really blessed life. I mean, that doesn't mean that life is always easy. It's hard, but it's good, you know? So, yeah, and remember that life is foundationally good. Evil is always secondary. That's another thing I'd like to leave with, with your listeners. Because we can get discouraged. If you listen to the news, it's all just mostly the bad stuff. And, you know, you can think, oh, life is basically evil. It's bad. But life is foundationally good. I mean, that's from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. God made things very good. And, you know, evil in sin and death came later i mean those are evil is always secondary good is always foundational so like illness is is a corruption of original health war is a corruption of original peace but it's a the peace and the health and you know that are foundational so yeah so those are two things i would encourage people to think about you know right out how can you love god and other people and keep in mind that good is foundational, evil is always secondary. It's always a corruption of something that was originally good. Yeah. Well, Bruce, it's been a delight to catch up with you and to hear about how you are living out this question, how to how to love God every day. And, you know, just to see and, and experience you know the writing the the decades of service and work it's it's a real witness i i think to all of us so so thank you for for sharing of that and thank you for, for all of that service and being part of the sdi community and for your right and for this time just really grateful to be able to chat with you here thank thank you for what you're doing matt i think you're doing wonderful work and you know podcasts are basically adult religious education at least you know from from the sdi point of view and from the christian point of view or any religion podcasts are great adult religious educators i think and and that's what the world needs almost more than anything is i think adult religious education because it's you know the people who have a very narrow fundamentalist view who are getting us into trouble on all kinds of things, I think. Anyway, yeah. that's my own bias. Well, what you said earlier, you know, one of the first things you said in this conversation is what what makes life juicy for you? And I, yeah. I think yeah. that's that's what we're trying to do. We're just asking yeah. that question over and over again. That's yeah. what the podcast yeah. hopefully does. It invites juiciness. Sure, sure. Yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word, about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. 
Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.